This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Today's podcast is brought to you by PeaksEquipment.com. They have a whole bunch of cool, new, innovative products dropping in 2024. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. They have the Peaks Duo Headlamp, which is arguably the best headlamp on the market. It's rechargeable. It's micro USB-C. It has two lights, red or white. You have three settings per light. And you can make sure that it won't turn on in your backpack by holding it down for a few seconds. It is the most versatile headlamp. They also make sissy sticks. I recommend the Elites with the cork handle. They also have the Storm Castle Gators. This is a great company. Discount code ELKSHAPE, 10% off. Check out PeaksEquipment.com. What's up, Will? Playing catch-up, dude. How about you? Uh, my life is catch-up, literally. <laughs> <laughs> hey you look good man you cut your hair what the hell let me see that gone, oh why because i killed an elk let's talk about it that's why you're here today guys we're jumping right in this is will cooper will let's give him the backstory first like you're just some dude who reached out to me many years ago and you're like i have a podcast with my brother would you like to be a guest and i don't turn down podcasts because i ain't a big deal i'm just a dude and so i said absolutely Let's do a podcast. Take it from there. Yeah, bro. That was 2018 or 19, 2019, because that's when the old elk hunting journey began for me, dude. And I was actually surprised you messaged me back. Yeah, because I'm such a big deal. You got such a big heart, Dan. Big heart, man. Oh, I'm I'm pretty intense, though. That kind of, that that's undeniable. So, yeah, dude, you like, dude, jump on our pod. And I didn't know what to expect, but I got on there and I... I don't remember exactly what we talked about, but I know that um, it was a fun conversation. It was you and your brother. You guys had elk hunted together a little bit in Colorado, and I'd, and you just had a monkey on your back, and we talked about elk hunting. From there, you kind of started getting into the industry a little bit more. Kind of tell us like where you've been and where you are now. Yeah, dude. Honestly, that podcast and just that little brain that I had started a few years ago is honestly kind of what jump-started it for me. It was just a little brand I called The Weekend Outdoorsman. And uh, I had a kid on the way. COVID had hit. 
And I used to manage an archery shop and I let a customer talk me out of getting out of the shop because he wanted me to help him sell uh, windows back in the day. I was like, what the hell? Why not? I'll, yeah, I know. I know. I was like, I was letting money speak too much. I was like, man, I got a kid on the way. I need to make some dough. Did that for like two weeks and felt like an absolute slime ball. <laughs> two weeks, door to door. Like, were you knocking on doors? No, nah, it it was warm leads. So, you know, there were people that did that and they kind of set it up. They alley-ooped it for us. And man, I was walking into people's homes that they had like blue tarps on the roofs and I'm walking in and I'm like, you don't need freaking windows. You need a roof. Yeah. You need, you need a <laughs> roof and yeah, you, you need a little bit more than just windows. And I just, I felt like a slime ball and, you know, I just got to the point where I was like, man, I can't do this. Not going to do it. Gave it a shot. Done. And, uh, there was an outdoor store here in town that they were hiring an assistant manager where I live and applied for it, walked in. And that's where I met Cody Roberts that we both know at the time. And he looks at me and he goes, man, we're not going to hire you for this assistant manager position. And I put on there that I had done this resume or, I mean, I'd done this podcast, started this brand. And he looked at me and he goes, have you ever heard of this camo clothing brand? And I'm not whatever it's it was numa i was like what the hell is numa and uh he showed me and so just kind of from there's where i got my start in the industry and um then that's where you and i got to work together some yeah and there you are and then you got a job with a company and those were the good old days for us back in the day when um we were both working basically with numa and working close uh we got to even do a really badass whitetail hunt together that was awesome. And then uh, you got to come to several elk shape camps, mm -hmm. which was cool and help out. And then at some point, yeah, you departed or you went a different direction and you're still there. You're tell everybody what you're doing. Yeah. So I am the content marketing manager for hunt stand, as well as doing some social media management for stealth cam, as well as another outdoor brand. A lot of people know muddy. But my primary focus is hunt stand, you know, mobile hunting app competitor to Onyx, of course. But hey, uh, we're still good buddies here. And uh, man, it's it's been a ride. It, it's been a ride that I've gotten to do a lot of cool things. Content creation, YouTube, the whole Waypoint TV, hosting a podcast and uh, just been having a blast, man, honestly. Yeah, you, you're and you're really good at what you do, Will. Like, um, you made a bow build video that's just crushing. It was so so well done. Probably some of your best work. And that's not why we brought brought you on today. But <laughs> I wanted everybody to know, like, Will and I have some history. Neither one of us are working with Numa anymore, and we have nothing but great things to say about them. But we are here to talk about Will and the fact that he cut his hair because he killed a bull. And his text to me is so so funny. I talked to you before like on your way to this Colorado second rifle hunt and I was like I didn't know you had a OTC tag and then you told me who you were going with and then I was like oh shoot like I actually kind of had like high hopes I'm like well you actually might get your elk I didn't tell you that but I I was thinking that um because I know who you were going with Jermaine Jermaine and Jermaine's just an amazing elk hunter and I was like well Dave he's not gonna take them to but it is still over the counter and it's still set second rifle which these elk have been hunted many weeks in a row now and weather and like you're you signed up for honestly a really difficult thing to do 
Uh, so I was kind of like, good luck. And then I got a text from you. Well, of course you posted it to social and then I sent you, um, either a text or a message, but I was pretty much like cloud nine for you. I was rooting for you. And, and your text back was like, my life has been changed. And I'm like, don't say another word. I want to find out about it on a podcast. Here we are. You guys are all up to speed. So break it down, man. Like tell everybody about how much you sucked at elk hunting and how hard it is because it's so hard it is man uh you know i've been for three years missed a year um because i didn't plan correctly with my wife so everybody listen out there uh if you're gonna have kids make sure it doesn't happen during elk season otherwise you're gonna miss out on a season like i did uh so gone three years and we saw elk called in elk um had them in at a distance, but I just never got a true good opportunity at one. And, you know, there's lots of decision-making that was done throughout those three years that looking back on it after what has just happened, I'm like, man, what the hell was I thinking back then? Like, why did I do that? Why did I not do this? Why did I not do that? Um, and so it was just basically three years of that, you know, good encounters, but just couldn't seal the deal. And Moved into 2023, talking with Jermaine, who I'd become good friends with, and uh, him and I had hit it off at one of your elk shape camps in Denver. And him and I had hit it off because past life of mine used to be a college track and field coach, had a Team USA Paralympic athlete at the time, and so we just kind of started meshing real well, just talking to elk, and we had both hunted the same units, and so you know we talked. And uh, fast forward to 2023, working for Hunt Stand one of the things I get tasked with every year is trying to tell a cool story and Jermaine is fixing to retire everything he does. And I said, dude, let's, let's go do an elk hunt together. Let's go do this. And so we had tried to pick up a tag, didn't successfully draw, tried secondary draw in Colorado, didn't get a tag. We tried playing the leftover list, didn't get a tag. And so we finally were like, what the hell are we going to do? And Jermaine's like, dude, we're going to go over the counter. And in my mind, I'm like, crap, dude, like I got it. We got to make a film out of this. We got to kill some elk. My past three years, I just have like all these doubts in my mind, right? We just decided to go over the counter, went to a unit that he had very little intel on, like very, very little, never had stepped foot on it. We got out there and we got two bulls in two days, man, two bulls in two days. And I learned a lot in that 48 hour more in that 48 hours than I had in the past three to four years. Isn't that incredible? It it really is. Um, and I can get more into it, you know, why it was a life-changing thing, but I mean, just what I learned from Jermaine and moving with him. And I can only imagine it's probably the same, like when somebody hunts with you and I feel for your camera guys, um, <laughs> Jermaine has a nickname called the Billy goat. And I learned why that, in that time like it was insane i mean we got out there the day before season started and we had already kind of both looked at the maps we had marked where we may want to camp we had looked at some areas with drainages good saddles all this good stuff and um we get out there and it starts getting dark and there's all these camps already set up crap so i mean we get in deep and we finally set up camp at night and probably about 2 a.m., like we knew we were going to get snow, but about 2 a.m. and I woke up and I just hear it hitting the roof of our wall tent. 
I'm like, okay, it's going to be a little light dusting like Jermaine was talking about. No, we wake up and there's like a foot, foot and a half snow on the ground everywhere. And it's like, being from Texas, I got all these, <laughs> I got all these freaking thoughts in my head. I'm like, man, uh, how are we going to deal with this? Because my state tends to shut down if we just get a half inch of snow. Like it just, it happens. But we got up. And we just started checking stuff. You know, Jermaine was bugling down into bowls, down into drainages, because at this time of year, there were a couple bulls that they were still kind of chattering, talking. You know, they may have been, like, looking for that last cow. But we heard one bugle that morning, and it's when we actually had – we were going down a road, lots of road hunters, and we knew we were going to have to get away. And – looked off we had actually had two vehicles pass us looked off on a ridge saw elk got out it's snowing foggy and lo and behold there were seven bulls together they were already bachelored up getting back in their sanctuaries and everything and by the time camera and i camera guy and i got lined up couldn't make the shot happen we had too much too much snow too much fog and uh when that happened Jermaine looked back at us and he got, he just got like this twinkle in his eye, man. And he's like, let's go. We're going in. We know where they are. We're going. And, uh, dude, foot and a half of snow on the ground. And we only had to go three quarters of a mile, but the elevation changes that we had to deal with within that time, it was like dropping four, picking up another 350 dropping another three all within this. And not only that, there's a ton of uh, downfall and burnt timber in the way. So it made for a hellacious first day that I was like, man, I hope I didn't scare. I hope we didn't scare the freaking camera guy off on this one. But uh, no, we, we did that. Didn't get successful. They'd eventually just, we figured between the time that we got out of the truck and the snow just downpoured, they just booked it booked it got away day two we went and checked some different country and uh because Jermaine wasn't quite convinced that those elk were going to be back we just kind of figured it was um luck chance that we just happened to see them you know just that time of year day three we go back same spot and we dubbed this name this uh area Shits creek um <laughs> yeah sounds about right there's another story for that, but uh, probably save that one for uh, over a cold beverage instead of the podcast. But we looked two ridges further this time. Elk were there. Same same elk, um, but they were moving. And Jermaine looked back. He said, we're going. And this is like one of those pivotal moments for me where prior to this, I looked at it from the perspective of, and Jermaine talked on this, a lot of people would just look at those elk that were roughly a thousand yards from us at this time and said, nah, we'll figure it out. Or let's come back tomorrow, see if they're there. Let's wait for the snow to melt. And there's just like all this crap that creeps in your mind that before I probably wouldn't have done what we did. Um, and we ended up going down that same path we did on day one straight down straight up to get to the top of this ridge and and keep in mind it was like negative 10 that morning freaking mm. cold, dude. freaking cold like 
eyelashes were frozen, my mustache was frozen, beard, my long hair at the time was white. And uh we just booked it, tried to stay on Jermaine's tail. Um, and I will say I'd rather go uphill than downhill in snow. Um way, absolutely way easier the amount of times I slipped and we got up to the top of this ridge and uh these elk were moving across trying to get over to get to bedding is what we were assuming they were doing. And we just got set up and I wasn't picky. Like I I just wanted to get my first bull. Like I wasn't concerned about shooting a giant, whether it was a raghorn, barely legal. I just wanted to get an elk, man. And the elk that's right behind me was the one I got. It just happened to be that he was the third one in line before trying to get up over the top of this ridge and ranged him at 525 yards. And he gave me a perfect broadside shot, took it and dropped him. What'd you shoot him with? 28 nozzler, savage oh. one ultralight. That that's cool. Did you put it behind the shoulder? I'm assuming right behind the shoulder. And he dropped and we were trying to get a double and Jermaine looked at, he was like, what's going on? What's going on? I was like, I'm looking because I didn't see the elk at first. I just see the other two run off, but then I see body and I'm like, holy crap, he's freaking down. And But he got up and uh, stumbled down the mountain, probably about 200 more yards. And he's in the picture I sent you, he got jammed up in this down tree and uh, he was just laying there. I was able to take another shot to finish him at like 375. And uh, dude, I make fun of guys when I see them on... I used to before I'd see guys like on the hunting channel that they shoot a big animal or something. They go over there and they just start crying. Right. Just, you just see them like ball. I'm like, why are these guys freaking crying? But I got emotional, man. Like I didn't cry. I didn't ball, but dude, like just to, uh, finally do that. Uh, I had no words and like we were filming, we're doing a film for this for hunt stand. And dude, I had no freaking words at all. I had nothing to say just because, I was thinking back on those three years of just struggling, not happening, and then just the one decision we made that morning and bust it and get after it, and we got it done. Wow. I think that's cool. I think that feeling that I that you can't bottle up, but I wish you could, Will, all the hours, days, weeks, including in and out of seasons of getting ready for elk hunting and going elk hunting and leaving your family and driving 10 hours to Colorado and doing the over-the-counter archery thing year after year, all the close calls, and then it finally comes to fruition. You finally get your first elk on the ground and you walk up to it. It should be emotional. It should be humbling. It should be a flood of emotions, mainly gratitude, but also celebratory because you did it something you've been working so hard for man i cried this year and i have killed a few elk in my day but i had been i left my house august 26th or 7th i can't remember and it is september 26th and i finally let an arrow loose and i was out in the field every effing day of that whole period and i make the shot on this bull and he goes 70 80 yards and I thought I made a perfect shot. Like, I really did. It was 52.4 yards, and I held him for 50, and it was broadside, and he was holding still, and I got a clean break. And I watched the arrow go right where I was aiming, and I'm just like, 
waiting for him to just tip over, right? Just like he runs only 80 yards and stops. He does he does not tip over. He like lays down. I watch his head tip back a bunch of times like he's he's drowning basically. I hate to say there's no other words for it, but he's drowning slowly. And I it's too open. I can't sneak in and put another arrow in him. I don't really need to. He's not going to go anywhere. So I have to sit there and watch him for 51 minutes. And then he finally took his last breath. He did even stand up at one point for a second, stagger around and lay back down. I knew he was done, but I just, I hit him high long. I got both lungs and I just started crying like a baby. And it was probably a combination of the emotions of like being out there for so long, trying so hard. And then just being kind of, honestly, people aren't going to understand this, but hunters will. I was sad, man. I really was sad to take his life. I mean, I was happy. And we're going to eat him, but I was just, and I don't, I don't know if I've ever cried before while hunting, like really? legit, legitimately ever cried. The closest I've ever gotten to feeling like that was when my wife killed her first big buck with a bow and I was filming. That was very emotional for me just to watch her go through. It's like she had never had buck fever. She got it big time. She still executed a good shot. And when we walked, I was just like, I've never been more proud of my life. I was more proud for her than myself. You know what I mean? I was just like, oh yeah. so hunting can bring out those emotions. That's really cool that you got to enjoy it with good, trustworthy peers, not to dilute from the most important part, but like, dude, you don't live at elevation. You probably live at 200 feet. I don't know what you live at. You're in Fredericksburg probably, but okay. How was the, uh, how was getting acclimated to the altitude for you? And then how did your camera get cameraman get acclimated? Dude, I will say elevation doesn't hit me too bad until the pack out happened. But just historically, like growing up, like going up to Colorado as a kid, like it hasn't really hit me bad. I mean, yeah, you definitely feel like you're breathing. Like you're definitely taking more breaths, right? But I was a college track athlete, and I don't know if it just had something to do with that. I didn't really feel it until the pack out, but like day one, when we went after these elk the first time, we were dropping down, coming. As soon as we start coming up at one of these drainages, I look behind the cameraman. He's got an FX6. He's not carrying Ooh. like a Sony A7 IV, you know, like one of those other smaller cinematic cameras. He's got an FX6 with the cage monitor and i'd ask him like dude are you sure you want to carry that he's like oh yeah yeah we started coming up out of this and he just hit a slick spot and ate it camera goes into the snow and i'm like we're done day one like crap six thousand seven thousand dollar camera just got fried and he just kind of looked up at me and i told jermaine i was like dude hold on man camera guy down but he got to dust it off and um camera guy his name's logan breck and dude we the between the three of us, we formed a freaking brotherhood that week just from the multiple packouts we had to do from my bull and then Jermaine's bull that he got. I'd prepared the whole year for this hunt. You know, I'd been doing some of your stuff from the Discomfort app, been doing a ton of stairmaster stuff, walks in the neighborhood. And then there's a guy here, uh, good buddy of my name is good buddy of mine, his name is uh Brock Stickler, and he owns a nutrition club here. And uh, we got to become good friends and we worked out. He's like a D1 football guy and he's not one to do. Um, he's not big on CrossFit, but he's real good on cross training and just trying to get prepped for everything. And dude, he got me stronger than I've ever been in my life. 
And it really helped out when it came to packing out these bowls. Like living at this elevation, I really don't truly think you can ever get fully prepared for something like that. You can work out getting in as best shape as you can to help mitigate the pain, but it's going to hurt no matter what it really. (laughs) And what's crazy is if you could just go relive it, you would be like, Oh man, this hurts. But like the pain is so hard to remember. It's gone. Like I can't even like I was, I had a terrible pack out on my second bowl this year, like terrible to where I like, I was waddling. I had half a bowl. I had a half a bowl on me. Like literally, and I was, it it was a place where we ain't doing two trips each. It's one and done. And I had taken the loose meat out that night. I killed him. I got the loose meat out. So we're talking tenderloin, backstrap, neck meat, rib meat, brisket, you know, 70 pounds plus my hunting gear. That was all gone. So when Tyler and I went up to that bull the next day, I was like, it took us so long to get back to the bull that when we finally got to him, I'm like, dude, I can't do two trips like this. Like, let's just... Let's one and done it, debone it or whatever. And so Tyler deboned it, but it was still heavy. It was half a bowl. I just remember being very close to the truck. And I'm like, this is literally, I can only waddle right now. And I don't even know if I'm going to be able to walk tomorrow. And uh, now I don't even remember it. It's gone. It's in the, it's in the past. So you have to have like this mental toughness that you just can't. I don't know. You can't really just, I don't know how to describe it, but it's just like something that is not really on demand unless you've created some sort of, I don't know, code in your mind where you've done some hard shit prior to that. You can kind of dig your heels on and be like, no, man, I've done this. I can do this. Uh, What were you leaning on mentally? Was it just the, the body of work, working with the trainer, the nutrition, the year round dedication, just being tough? Like, how did you kind of pull that out of you there were actually two things that i kept digging into because i'll be honest with you man um to kind of back it up i had seen this longer finger to go finger ridge that went into where these elk were and i kept looking at that like on the maps i'm like why are we not going this way but i'm like you know what just follow Jermaine. just shut up your thoughts don't count just listen to the man he's killed elk every year we didn't take that way out we took the same way in which was over some crazy crap. The first pack out, I had the head with the full cape, which my pack, this this is another lesson which we can talk about later, was I had too much crap in my pack going in. So my pack was like 30 pounds. Then I put this head and cape on top. You're looking at what, close to 100 with that, give or take? When we were coming up out of this, we went the same way. I mean, like we're going over all this deadfall, those steep elevation changes within a short amount of time. And it got to the point where Jermaine and camera guy, who both had hindquarters and a little bit of loose meat, they got an hour ahead of me once we were coming up the last 600, 700 yards. The whole time, like I'm telling you, man, like I, I was a college track athlete, been through a lot of shit, and that was the toughest thing I'd ever done in my life. Like I'll... I'll share an image with you that the camera guy got of me crawling up out of this drainage with his head. And the whole time I just kept leaning on tough workouts that coach had damn near killed me on in college. And then my wife and my daughter, like those were the things mm-hmm. I just kept thinking about right there, man. There, I don't remember who said it before, but um, the thing I just have like this phrase that I constantly when I'm hurting and going through that suck and just going into that dark place, like there's a phrase that I just put in my head that it's like, 
do what others won't so you can do what others can't. And I leaned on those things. And like you, by the time I finally got back to the truck, uh, I was waddling and they had to get the pack off of me just because it's like every 10 yards having to crawl over this deadfall. Like I'd have to sit on one to rest. And then, you know, with all the snow, it seemed like every time I'd take a step, I'd slip back two feet. And there's just always something shitty, like the pack, like the head would shift. I mean, you know, carrying those antlers out, they shift. If, um, I'd fall or just some crap, man. And there's just all this shit that was just going through my mind. Like, dude, just put the freaking head down, come back and get it tomorrow. And there's like shit going through my head. Like, why the hell am I doing this? I don't ever want to go on an elk hunt again. Um, you just get all this crap that, you know, you got all these demons that just creep in, right? They just creep in. And you're like, frick this, like bump this, I'm done. But then I think back on those three years of just sucking crap, not getting an elk. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to miss out on the feeling of what it's going to be like to get that head back to that truck, all this meat back to that truck, not going to miss out on that. And uh, once I finally made it through all of that and not giving up on myself, essentially, I got back to the truck. I was like, all right, I'm ready. Let's go do this again. I want to go kill another bull. Dang, dude, that's the best. I do love the, uh, oh, for me, like, Tyler weighs 225. I weigh 155. And honestly, I can whip Tyler's ass getting up to the elk. But the second we put meat on our back, I finally was like, hey, man, just go ahead. Like, I'm tired of you waiting on me. Because every time I saw a like a downfall log, I would sit down. I'm like, oh, my God, I just got to get to that log. I get to that log and I'd sit on it so, so that all the weight was on the log and not on me anymore. And I would just let my hips relax for a second and then I'd sit there for about a minute or two and then I'd be like all right let's go and I would I just did that the whole way back to the truck and uh Tyler was probably beat me by 30 minutes at least and um I know that feeling but the feeling goes away and it's time to get another elk which is really cool man um you've never had elk meat in your freezer what's that been like having I mean you you're a killer you kill whitetail and axis and all that stuff but like Elk meat hits a little different. What's it like having that abundance of elk meat in the uh, freezer? Friggin' awesome, dude. <laughs> Friggin' awesome. Like, I got home and immediately started breaking down that meat, and I broke down the backstrap and the steaks, and I think I gr- I got home on a Friday night, and I grilled those Saturday night. Friggin' awesome. And I'm actually, tonight, um, all the hamburger meat, going to be grinding that up tonight going to mix a little bit of beef brisket in with it, do like a 90, 90, 10% uh, mix. So almost done with getting everything packed up, but dude, just having like that two, I don't know, it's like 200 pounds of meat once mm-hmm. it's all done, give or take. I haven't weighed it all, but I mean, I got like 50, 60 steaks. Uh, I've got like four or five big chunks I've kept to make jerky. Uh, I think there's like, I don't know how many roasts. And then we'll probably get, I don't know, 80, 90 pack, one pound packages of this hamburger meat tonight when we're done with it and uh, got some summer sausage made out of it all. And it's just like, dude, having that in the fridge, knowing what I went through to get that and have that in the freezer finally, I mean, it's uh, it's an undescribable thing. It's, 
it's just badass, right? It's just badass yeah. feeling knowing like providing that for my family. And it's nice to have something other than whitetail on the freezer for once. That's cool, dude. Now I will say one of the best whitetails I've ever had is the one I shot with you. Really? As far as just, yeah. Like that's the best tasting whitetail I've ever killed. Anyways, I wanted to make a comment on the struggle of elk hunting. Year before I had killed three bulls and I, we, dude, we can eat a lot of elk meat more than people will believe because I, I do eat elk every day of the year, but um, three bulls is a lot, right? I did give a little bit away to Tyler's brother when his house burnt down. I was like, oh, damn. So I gave him some elk meat, but really, truly, when I left the house this year for elk season, I had, I think I did an audit and I had like 17 packages of two pound elk burger. And that was it. That's all I had left. Here we are day 25 and I haven't killed an elk. And my dad and I are sharing a camp and I find out that my dad had gone to town and talked to my wife. And he's basically like, hey, Alicia is going to choke you out if you don't get an elk. Like she's pissed that because I messed up two like golden opportunities earlier in the year. I'd uh, on my recap podcast, I I pulled back and I drew slow and an arrow got off my rest. That's never happened before. That's like a rookie mistake. I did it. So I'm at full draw on a 320 bull with no arrow on the rest. Um, I still don't know what happened. And then literally that same morning, 10 minutes later, I'm on full draw on a herd bull and his cow, he just got to take one more step and his cow passes him and comes out in the opening and stares at me. And I can't, I held back for low of like two minutes, 30 seconds. Jeez. And all I just needed him to take one more step. And that's what that lift that's at 80 pounds with 80% let off. So, I mean, I'm holding and finally the bow just goes down on its own. And uh, within 10 minutes, I had squandered two opportunities. Now, I wasn't being super picky this year, but I was kind of being picky this year. I didn't really want to admit it to my wife, but like, yeah, I could have killed several bulls up to that point. Um, but I got word from my dad that my wife was literally losing her mind at the thought of us not having elk meat. You know what I mean? And that's when my dad cascaded that down to me is like, you better quit messing around and get one killed. And I like, I, I have not been messing around. I've been trying so hard, but yeah, I think the point of all that guys is that elk meat is the ultimate. And it, I don't care if it's from a cow or a spike or a big nasty 10 year old bull elk meat is elk meat, man. Um, so I'm glad for you guys. The, the other two things I want to discuss in this podcast was a little bit about Jermaine's hunt, mm -hmm. a little bit about the film and when is it going to come out. And then lastly, I guess there's three things. Lastly is like, what is your plan now so that you can get your first archery bull? So go ahead. So I guess I'll kind of take off from after my bull. Um, you know, Jermaine had a tag in his pocket as well. And we got up, we got that bull packed out. And once we got, or we got half of my bull packed out, um, that evening we were going back to camp and he looked and he goes, Hey, he said, I'm going to take a rifle in, in the morning. Cause I didn't, I mean, we, this was day three of the hunt where we had killed in uh second rifle season is nine days long. And he had been hunting and he had killed an elk already. He had killed a moose. And so if we could get a double, we were going to, and he, he looked at me and he said, Hey, I'm gonna take the rifle in tomorrow morning. And if those elk are there before we pack out the rest of your bull, I'm going to shoot one. All right, cool. Let's do it. And I knew Logan in the back seat, a little bit of him had died inside because this is the first time he ever 
really done anything this difficult. Um, but we grew, we all grew closer to it. And it was like, we were all pushing. I mean, a little part, a small part of me died as well. Cause you know, I just got over that shit hike and yep. um, I'm like, F all right, do what we gotta do. I don't care. We're filming this. We get two bull down. That's freaking awesome. So we go back out the next morning. We check, didn't see the elk at first, drove a little bit further down the road. Didn't see any elks. We're like, all right, let's go pack in the meat. We park in the same spot and kid you not bulls are back, but they're at nearly the top of the ridge this time. So Jermaine looks back, gets that twinkle in his eye again. He's like, let's go. Let's bump. We got to go right now. And we start crushing down this same path, same shit Creek path. And, uh, he stops, Jermaine stops and looks back at me and he said, Hey, don't try and follow me. I'm like, what? And he goes, I'm going. He said, if I get up there, he said, I'm getting a shot. We'll film the recovery. I said, go. And dude, I'm not kidding you, man. Like I would, we, I follow his path. I was trying to keep up and I'm like, man, if I try to keep up with him, I'm going to die. And I know camera guy is going to die. And so by the time we get maybe 30 yards from the bottom of the Creek, bottom of this drainage, I look up, he's already halfway up the mountain. Like he's moving, dude. And he gets up to the top and those bulls were just following the same path. And his bull was 270 yards to the north of mine. So just two tiny little uh, creek drainages over from mine. And um, we had just started to get to the top to where I knew he was going to be same spot that we had shot from the day before boom waited a couple minutes heard one more shot and we get up to the top he had downed his bull and we'd watched it go down and he said hey we're gonna go pack out the rest of your bull and then we're gonna come back tomorrow morning and we're gonna get mine in one pack out and that was well we took the easy path out for the rest of it right yay the like the long finger oh yeah like dude there was hardly any downfall or anything. I mean, yeah, there's some good elevation, but it was way more manageable, way more manageable. And um, we had actually gotten on, somebody had gone down this drainage probably on the second day when we didn't check to see if these elk were there again. And so they left a path in the snow that we took out. that The elk had actually beat down a little bit more too. And um, so, yeah, we just packed out the rest of my bowl and we crashed that night, carved up that night, cooked at camp, and then we got back out there that morning. The elk were back there again. So pretty much, I can't verify on the second day, but pretty much four days in a row, these elk were just circling. It was just a group yeah. of bulls that they were just circling that my guess is they were getting on these faces because the sun would hit it first in the morning. Yep. That's my guess. That's what they were doing. Um that sun would hit it first thing in the morning and there was some fresh browse coming up that they were eating, but then they were just working over the top side of the ridge. Nobody can, from the road could see them and they would just bed up all day and just make those circles. And so we went back the next day and Jermaine took two front quarters and took out, took out his head. Uh, we skull capped it and he took it out. And then me and the camera guy each took rear quarters with loose meat. So, Oh, yeah, we bumped it out. It was it was a good little hike, but uh, we got it done, man. Two bulls, two days, three days worth of pack out, 
Um, foot and a half of snow. Yeah. And I lost, Dang. when I got back home, I was 14 pounds lighter than when we took off out there. Yep. 14 pounds lighter. Cause I mean, we were just getting up, drink some coffee. If we had time, we were downing a little bit of oatmeal or something. Not really. I mean, you snack during the day, but it's not much. And then we were just carb up at night on something that Jermaine would make. And, mm. uh, yeah, man, it, it was an experience. Um, you know, just learning what I did from him. There were times that I just looked back on the three years prior. It's like, man, there were times that I'd find elk super far down at a drainage and, I wished I would have gone after him because I might, I might've had an archery bull by now. Um, yes. Wished I would have gone after him, glassed him up. And, uh, it also, there's other parts to it as well that, you know, I had to think about the people I was with. They weren't ready. They weren't in shape. And, you know, it's making me think about moving into the future. Like, okay, people I go to hunt with from now on, I want them to be in shape. Um, Somebody that's going to look at that same thing like I am, and they're either not going to complain or they're going to have the same mindset as me. It's like, hey, let's go freaking do it. Let's go get them, right? Um, so having that good hunting partner is a good good thing I want to have moving into the future. But for this film, to kind of come back to your question, it's going to be a hunt stand original that we're going to launch uh, probably about early, mid-December. It's getting edited right now. And it's going to tell Jermaine's story. You know, he's been a world elk calling champion. He's in the U.S. Army. He coaches the world-class athlete program, female wrestlers, coached at the Team USA level for wrestling. And he's 5'8", 4% body fat, and just a freaking beast, man. Freaking beast. And so we're going to tell a story, and it's going to be a cool one because he's going to be retiring at the end of this year. Um and then moving into the outdoor industry in some space uh, that he's looking for. But it's just, it's just going to be a great all-around story to, to tell about a genuine elk killer, man. And I can't wait to tell it. Yeah, and as credible as an elk hunter is, he's even more of an just incredible human being. I got nothing but love for that dude. Um, something you said just a second ago, Will, was something that really I hope people didn't overlook. is like a lot of the elk that y'all didn't kill is because you didn't go after it. You talked yourself out of it. And I know we're all pretty confident sitting in the our houses right now, like, oh, no, I would do that. But when you're there, I mean, I have this mantra that I started many years ago, and it was basically like to have zero regrets when I get home. To not, like the outcome will take care of itself, whether or not I get an elk. But the one thing that I could control would be the effort. Like the outcome, I can't, but the effort, I can. And I remember, I'll give you two quick stories. Quick, one of them's an old one that I've said on this pod, and one of them's a new one. Arizona, 2016, day eight, late season archery elk tag. It's a pretty shitty hunt, by the way. I wouldn't recommend it. Save your points for September rut hunt. But anyways, I went there, and it was day eight of day eight, and I had a bull come out in the bottom. And honestly... I talked myself out of going after him because I thought that I wouldn't get down there in time. And the last thing I wanted to do on day eight was walk a shame in the dark up that cliff ridden, nasty drainage. And like, I didn't go for him and I can't tell you if I would have got him or not, but I can tell you, I don't know because I didn't freaking try. 
because I pussed out. And that was a huge regret because I've been to Arizona three times and I've killed two out of three times. And I think I could have maybe killed that bull, but I don't know the answer. The other story, I've told that one before, but this one's new, is I hired a camera guy almost literally off this stock. So I hired Jeff Dodds. He's moving here from Bozeman to work for me full time. Look out world. I'm going to be able to make better content and more of it. Everything you see is what I do by myself. So imagine having some help. He's a great dude. He's a former elk guide. And I, I could tell just after a couple days that like he was never holding me back. Like in the mornings, his pack was ready to go and he didn't need to eat breakfast. Great. I could tell that like he didn't like, hey, can we reshoot this or get this shot? Like in the prime time of hunting, I'm like, that's a no-no for me. I'm hunting comes first before the content. Yeah. Period. Anyways, this one, his last day with me. So we'd, we've grinded out four or five days and these are double digit miles. And it's just because the country is open and it's big country. Mm-hmm. I spot this bull that I had history with from the year prior. First time I finally pulled him back up. I thought he was dead. He's a big 330 bull and he's only a five point. So like they don't make that many 330 class five points in the world, especially in um, Idaho. And he's coming out of this spot. I've never seen him in with nine cows and calves and he's at least 1500 yards away. I have him through a spotting scope. There's 40 minutes of daylight left and we had already done, I think 12 miles. And I look at Jeff and I'm like, I just told him, I'm like, Hey, you don't have to film this if you want, but I'm, I'm going for him because I've learned the lessons that you have to go for it and deal with the consequences when it gets dark, deal with it. Okay. He's like, no, dude, I'm going. And we sent it. And I ended up getting, man, I ended up getting pulled back on that bull with like seconds of daylight, legal shooting light left. And he ended up taking a step right before I let loose my arrow. And he got all that on camera. And then we had an insane walk of shame because my dad dropped us off at an entirely different trailhead. And our camp was at a completely different trailhead, but not really. So we had to hike out the bottom of this drainage in the dark for literally two, maybe three hours till we got to the trailhead. And then when we got to the trailhead, we had another three miles to walk to get to our camp. No cell phone service, no like, hey. So it was like a the most ridiculous mileage day. And he had a smile on his face. And we didn't get back till about midnight. And I was planning on waking up at four. And doing it over again because I know that you only have so many mornings in September. And after that, I was like, that's when I started talking to him for real about, hey, what do you think about working for me? Because he he just had a great attitude. And my other camera ga- guy that you met is Jake Webb. Oh, yeah. And he was he's a stud. I can't I've never seen him mad. I've never seen him sad. I've never seen him other anything other than, yes, let's go for it, man. And that's why I loved having him as a cameraman for the years that I did have him. And uh, that's Jeff. So that was really cool. So when you said we, Jermaine just went for you, that's a veteran move. And I want more people to just have stories when they return of, I went for it and it just cost me a three hour walk of shame, but I went for it. I have no regrets. If you can come back with no regrets, that's a successful season. Would you agree? Oh, a thousand percent. I mean, the thing that we kept talking about all week was you have to go and make the opportunity for yourself. You can't wait for it to happen. And I mean, I, at that point, like I knew going into this hunt that I was going to be the student or I felt like I was going to be the athlete again. Jermaine's the coach. 
I'm not going to bitch yeah. about anything. I'm not going to argue. Like, I'm not even going to share my opinion. <laughs> there was one time I did. But uh, <laughs> it's like, I'm just going to follow the man. He kills elk every year for a reason. I haven't. So I have nothing to say. Um, right. The only, time, the only time I did bring up was when I had that, the antlers on the back and we're there's got to be an easier way. And he goes, Hey, we're already here. You got to earn your stripes, baby. Let's go. But, uh, um, that's awesome. No, I mean, you have to go and make the, you got to make that opportunity for yourself. And that's what we did. Uh, there were so many people that there were probably the people that saw those same elk that drove by them because they were too far. Um, couldn't get close enough, too steep, too much downfall. Like you find ways to make all these excuses for yourself. And that's where, I come back to essentially my mantra is everybody wants to have that pack out of that bull. They want to get that bull back to that truck. Right. And I'm going to do what those guys aren't going to do so I can do what they can't. I'm going to bring that bull back knowing that I went and did what they wouldn't so I could do what they can't. Amen. Dang. Okay. Well, let's finish with what, what, how are you going to get one with the bow? What's your plans, dog? So looking at, uh, obviously, archery next year, September, probably looking at, you know, like that middle time. And I'm just going to rack up points in Colorado is my plan. I'm not going to pull any of my points yet. Might do OTC, maybe see if I can pick a leftover tag up. If not, I've got a couple points in Montana. I was actually talking to Bynum about this. Thinking Montana or going to put in for the New Mexico draw and just see what I can pull. But either way... I'm going to be in the mountains somewhere with my bow and hen next September, whether it's for work or just my own pleasure hunt going either way. You're going no matter what, and you'll be in shape. You'll be shooting dialed, ready to go. And you'll be sending it on any and every opportunity. Um, Probably, you know, I, I've been able to work it out with my wife that she knows, she knows how important this is to me. Um, and we've worked out a pretty good system, you know, with everything. And she knows that when I come back from the a hunt like this, whether I'm successful or not, I come back a better man. Um, you know, just all the shit we go through throughout the year to be able to go out there and do that. She knows I'm going to come back a better man. So typically I can leave for about 10 days total. So that's one day travel each side. So, you know, looking at two, maybe three days if you run into hiccups. So get yeah. about six to seven days of hunting total. Okay, well, an idea for you, just a quick one, is that you and I both work with Stealth Cam, mm -hmm. and you take a lot of the content that I make for Stealth Cam, yep. and I have about 12 Stealth Cams soaking in Montana right now that I need to go get this spring or summer, probably summer, and I know that if you went with me, you could learn the spots, the access, and you probably get to see what's on those cameras, which is the beautiful thing about trail cameras is I don't put them out to help me hunt that specific, whatever. I'm there to learn about the biology, the behavior, the predator density, the bull density, the cow density. When do they winter? When do they come back? I love leaving cameras out year round. And I ran a different brand of trail cameras a couple years and 
I don't want to talk badly about them. So I'm just going to say stealth cam has always been the most reliable for me. And I like 4k video. I, a, a photo's cool, but I'd rather put a 512 gigabyte card in that bad boy with some double a lithiums and potentially a solar attached to it. Lock that bad boy up and let her eat year round, dump that footage and learn. And I have a hard drive. I have a 10 terabyte hard drive just for trail cam video. And I've been running cameras my whole life. And as soon as the DS4K came out, that was the game changer. That was the one camera that I could leave out year round and get awesome intel. So talk to the talk to the fine folks at Stealth. Let's get you a flight. Let's go on our trail cam reconnaissance. Let's go pick up cameras. And I probably bring more and move more and move them around. And you could cut your learning curve in half. So you're saying if I go in there and we do this reconnaissance mission and I go and learn from you that I might have the potential to hunt this in the fall. It's public land, baby. Have at her. Have Let her eat. You know, Will, one thing I will say, your success will not get in the way of my success and vice versa because we work too hard for this. Like if you're in a basin and you got it, have at her. I'll find elk in a different spot. And I learned to be like that over the years because... There's a lot of badass elk hunters nowadays. I mean, there's always has been, but I think there's more than ever that are training year round, shooting year round. And I'm not mad about it. I'm actually excited about it. I'm the one guy who's matured enough to root for others. It, it wasn't always like that, bro. So no, yeah, this is me rooting for you. Yeah, have at her, let her eat. I'd rather see you have success than not wander around. Should I go here or go there? Let the cameras do some of the work. Plus, I'm dying to see what these were all new to me spots that I never hunted. So all these cameras were put out in July. I haven't been back. I mean, and so I covered so many miles. It's going to take us a few days just to get to all these cameras and get them all in and and decide. And I like to check the cameras right when I get to them, because what if this camera is so hot? I need to just put new batteries in it, new card and walk, let it continue to do its job. So we'll be bringing our SD card readers in our phone, going through them downloading and then deciding and you know it's crazy right now i have two cellular stealth cams at one spot yeah it kind of sounds dumb but it's interesting to me that literally one camera takes about three or four times the photos because it's just positioned better and both are in really good spots but because i have two to compare it's crazy how nuanced it is exactly where you put that camera can be can give you more information isn't that interesting no, it, I know exactly what you're talking about because I actually had a similar situation a few weeks ago here in Texas on some of my whitetail that I'd found this heavily traffic area where trails kind of branch off. So I decided to put two cameras in there. One was slightly facing one direction. The other one was facing another. And I was catching more on one versus the other because just because of the angle and how these deer were traveling on that trail. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, dude. So I finally killed Axis deer, by the way. I uh, had to go to Hawaii to do that. I still haven't killed one in Texas. But, um, dude, yeah, those those animals are like possibly one of the coolest animals on planet Earth to hunt and really annoying to hunt. I mean, they, they make the coolest sounds uh, for how small they are. And you just happen to live in a part of Texas where you guys got a few hanging around. Low fence. Yes. It's we, crazy. Uh, we we actually been catching them. They've kind of disappeared for a little bit. Right at the beginning of archery season, we had a ton of them showing up. 
Uh, and, and I don't typically catch them on my cameras uh, out at our place. And they started showing up on camera for whatever reason. And I think it's just because of how dry it's been. And we actually have water on our place. But they disappeared. So I think that's probably because rifle season started, pressure. They're super finicky, as you know. Um, but I know, I don't care if it's a doe, spike, buck, whatever it is, or freshly shed buck. If I see them on our low fence property, I'm going to send one for sure because i'm actually low i think i have like one piece of backstrap left but i've you know mitigated that with all the elk yeah but they're delicious they really are and they're a pretty cool animal i do find them very annoying to hunt one thing i did somebody asked me because people are observant but i yeah i made a youtube video just kind of going over how to travel with your bow and and how which islands have more access than the other and and then kind of the results i did some broadhead testing on axis or whatever and um, one guy was like, well, how come your quiver, how come you didn't have your quiver on your bow? And I, I was like, man, I should just tell people these things are the jumpiest they're on meth. And like, I would take off the engaged leg limbs. I would take off my one piece quiver. I tried to make my bow as quiet as it could possibly be on shots because they are so jumpy. I'm not hunting them over a feeder. This is like truly spot and stock in the jungle. Uh, and it was incredible how keyed up these critters are more than a whitetail even is that is that safe to say or am i my foolish no i mean they're they're the same way here i mean i was guiding on twenty thousand acres in south texas straight out of college and i watched axis jump the string at 15 yards like giant bucks jump it just because they come in they're so finicky and they're super particular to the wind like I think they're the toughest animal to hunt if you have just a marginal win. Like you can probably get away with it with with whitetail. I'd imagine on some elk you can get away with it on marginal wins, but dude, no. They catch any whiff of anything they're not used to. You're either not going to see them or when they come in, they're going to be finicky as get out. And the does specific well, the bucks too, but they don't blow a couple times at you and call they bark they bark they bark and the the bucks bark is so cool that you can tell the difference um now that's cool we it's a whole nother pod blend but anyway i want to get you out of here um will cooper hunt stand muddy and stealth cam where can people see some of your work uh they can head to hunt stands ig page so they can see a lot of stuff i do there as well as youtube uh they can see a lot of that content and then my personal ig page is just at will t cooper so they can check out that and see more of all that right there yeah guys check it out just wanted to give will a shout out getting his first bull many more to come separation is in the preparation guys we'll catch you on the next one today's podcast is brought to you by stealth cams i like trail cams they're very nice and i like to run cellular non-cellular especially for whitetails especially for elk i leave cameras out year round in many places even when i don't have a tag i've been known to drive out there in the summer put cams out because i might have a tag the following year and i need that information not only elk densities but predator densities animals behavior if they're coming through a certain area how they travel when they travel when does the snow come? When does they come back from the winter? When do calves drop? When do bulls peel their velvet off? You can study, leave those things on video mode. Two discount codes to know when it comes to Stealth Cam. 20% off non-sale is Elk Shape 20. 10% off cellular is Elk Shape 10. They have an array of plans if you're gonna go with the cellular route where you can dictate how many transmissions you need to get what you need to see what you need 
to see. Stealth Cam is definitely the most reliable trocam system that I've ever ran.